everybody. It's really good to be with you. Um, such a privilege, such an honor to speak at the Freedom Center. I think it was a couple of years ago when I was here and uh, just had so much fun the last time I was here. And I hope I have fun today too. I think we will. Um, I wanted to say thanks to Pastor Jim and, uh, and uh, Dina for inviting me. Aren't they the best? I mean, they're just the best. I mean that. Um, uh, Jim is, is kind of like my alter ego in the sense that I'm a very serious guy. And, and um, you know, when we did conferences together, pe uh, people would come up to me after our conference was over and they say, you guys fit perfect. He said, John, you're real serious, you know, and, and Jim is hilarious. And it just is a good, a good blend. But we love your pastor and his wife and his, and his children and his grandchildren. And uh, yeah, so thank you for having us. I, I want to introduce my wife, Laura, to you. Honey, would you stand? This is my wife, Laura, right here. Yeah. Laura and I have been married for 38 years. Uh, we have four boys, three daughters-in-law, and two of the most beautiful granddaughters in the entire universe who have me totally wrapped around their finger. And uh, being a papa is one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life. I'm trying to rate it, you know, getting saved, getting married, and being a papa. Maybe that was, no, having the boys was good, but being a papa is amazing. Um, whenever we travel and speak, we always bring resources with us because we think it's very important that what you put into your mind uh, is, is solid, is biblical, is helpful. And so we've, we've brought some resources. They're out in the uh, lobby area. I want to tell you about two of them real quick, and then I'm going to jump right into my talk. Uh, this book I wrote almost four years ago now called Unshakable You, Five Choices of Emotionally Healthy People. I wrote this book because in 2015, Laura and I traveled that year all over the world, and um, everywhere we went, in every church we spoke to, uh, at, in every leadership conference we did, the amount of people who, who were telling us we are struggling with anxiety and depression, it was overwhelming. And so I wanted to write a very short book, and it is very short, um, that really spoke to that issue. So if you or somebody you care about is suffering with anxiety or depression, Pick up a copy of this book and give that, either read it for yourself or give it to somebody you care about. And, uh, and then one other, uh, we have other resources, but I just want to tell you about one other one. This is one that your pastor and I wrote together. And do you, do you realize it's almost been two years since we, we worked on this project? It's called Putting the Good in Goodbye, A Healthy Conversation About the Comings and Goings of Church People. Now, Pastor Jim and I wrote this book for leaders uh, because one of the most painful experiences a pastor has is when people that he or she have poured their lives into decide to just up and leave, and sometimes for not really good reasons. And so we felt we wanted to write a book that touched that pain. But here's what I'm, figuring, I'm learning, uh, Pastor, that, that uh, people in the business world like this book. Uh, uh, one of our uh, daughter-in-law's father is a chiropractor. He says, John, I've read that book two times because I have clients that I've had for 20 years and 30 years, and some of them just up and leave, and it's painful for me. So this book is good for you if you're a leader. It's good for you if you're a layperson so that you can learn how to, how to behave. Amen. There we go. And make your pastor's life better. 
All right. So you might be wondering, well, why should I buy resources like that? Why should I buy a book about mental health? Well, let me give you some reasons why you should. Do you know that the number one cause of death for college freshmen in the United States is suicide? Number one. Uh, the first year of college, it, it just sets kids up for problems. Uh, the rate of major depression has really taken off here in the last several years among young adults. Um, in 2007, 8.7% of 18 to 25-year-olds suffered with major depression. Two years ago, in 2017, that rate went up to 13.2%. Just uh, That is a significant e increase in a decade. That's why we pick these books up. That's why we read. That's why we want to get better. I think those stats you know, are depressing in themselves, right? But what if I told you this morning that understanding and applying what I'm about to share with you would drastically reduce your risk of depression? Would you be interested in that? What if I told you that if you figure out how to work into your life what I'm about to uh, share with you, that you would have more energy in your life. You'd have better relationships in your life. You'd have more joy in your life. Would you be interested in that? All right, so buckle up. We are going to talk about uh, the surprising power of rhythm. Listen, life is about rhythm. I don't know if this is proper to say from the pulpit or not or from the platform, but I am very white when I dance. <laughs> we were at a wedding last night, and, and, and Laura says, come on, let's go out and dance. And, and that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. And um, anyhow, yeah, this guy thinks he's got rhythm. I'm not sure he does. I don't mean being a good dancer. Here's what I mean when... I talk about rhythm. I'm talking about a healthy work, rest, and relational rhythm. Here's a key thought for today. What you know matters. What you do with what you know matters more. We come to church, and I'm sure you, at this church, you are well-fed. I know that. And we hear so much week after week after week. What we know, it matters. It's important. But what we do with what we know is what really matters. It matters more. Here's our, uh, one of our key scriptures this morning. James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Isn't that interesting? You can come to church on Sunday and hear a wonderful message and think, I'm good. James says that that's all we do if, is just listen and we don't do anything. We are lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. He says, don't just hear it. Do what it says. So how many of you in the room this morning would say, John, I am going to do what it says? How many of you would say you'll do that this morning? Because you know what? If, if, if your posture is not to do, these next 20 minutes are going to be a total waste of your time. 
a total waste of your time. I don't want to waste your time. And everybody said? Amen. amen. Half of you said amen. <laughs> Not all of you. In Matthew uh, chapter 11, Jesus extends an invitation to every one of us in the room this morning. Here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more to do. Is that what it says? No, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, when you watch Jesus in the Gospels, he's so amazing, right? You discover that he was never stressed out, except for the Garden of Gethsemane. For, for a brief moment, he was stressed out. But Jesus was never stressed out. He was never in a hurry. And I wonder, how did he pull that off? He had the most important mission of all time, and yet he never was stressed. How did he do that? He, he gives us a key in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says this, I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father saying. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father saying. So, Jesus lived a simple life, right? He did that and nothing more, and yet he was incredibly successful. So, if Jesus is the person we're supposed to model our life after, if he's the person we're supposed to be following, why are we so stressed out? Why do we struggle so much with anxiety and depression? I think a lot of it has to do with our lack of rhythm. Jesus lived his life in a beautiful rhythm of work and rest, of relationships and solitude. So last summer, Laura and I went to Florida for a week of vacation. In, uh, it was in the winter. And we took in uh, Venice Beach. Venice Beach is on the Gulf Coast. We uh, sat on the beach, and I was watching the waves. And I don't know, there's something about waves that just kind of mesmerizes me. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. But it was a windy day, and so the waves were crashing on the beach. Some of them were really big waves uh, that crashed with a lot of energy, a lot of force, and then some were smaller waves. But as I was watching the waves for, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 minutes, all of a sudden, this, I, I, I noticed something, that it didn't matter how big the wave that came that crashed or how small the wave, every one of those waves, as soon as they, after they crashed onto the shore with all that power and all that energy, they receded back into the ocean. So there was this constant pounding of waves, but then immediately following that, there was the ebbing or the flowing away of those waves. And I got this idea that waves are one of God's creative messages to us about work and rest. You know, we push with energy onshore, and then we retreat offshore. We flow, and then we ebb. We work hard on the right things, and then we rest. Short bursts of impactful energy quickly followed by moments of recess. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to rhythm. So with that as our backdrop, I want to give you this morning five healthy rhythms that are so practical that 
I, I'm sure that after every one, you're going to look at me and say, well, duh. That's not anything I don't already know. But remember, what you know matters, but what you do with what you know matters more. Here's the first rhythm, and that is our daily rhythm. A daily rhythm means knowing when it's time to clock out every day. Knowing when it's time to punch out. If you work in a, in a in manufacturing job, in a, in, a, in a plant, you understand this concept. You punch in, you punch out. Um, but not, not everybody has that, has that nine to five uh, kind of work. Some of you work, you own your own companies, or you, you're doing work that you're working all kinds of hours. But listen, after so many hours of work in a day, you get tired, right? No amens. But it's true. After so many hours in a day, you get tired. And for, for most humans that are normal, eight to ten hours of work, and you're tired. And that's just part of being human. Here's what research tells us, that after eight hours, our productivity as human beings falls off a cliff. After eight hours in a day, and, you know, I, as, a, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, I was crazy. I was working 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. I was pushing all the time, missing days off. Um, and I thought that those hours that were the 12 hours, the 14-hour days, that I was getting as much production in hours 9 through 14 as I was in hours 1 through 8. Nope. Your productivity will fall off a cliff after eight hours. I'm not telling you how long to work in a day necessarily. What I am saying is let's get real. After you've put in a good, solid day of work, you need to figure out when it's time to punch out. You need to clock out. Now, I'm not calling you to laziness this morning, right? How many know that laziness is evil? Laziness is evil. But I got news for you. Workaholism is evil too. They're evil twins. They're extremes. Health is in the middle. One of the most important rhythms you and I need to figure out is when it's time to punch out every day. Our pastor uh, at our home church, he shuts his phone off every day after 7 o'clock. And you might think, well, he's not a very good pastor. He's an amazing pastor. He's a wonderful pastor, but he has figured out a daily rhythm. He punches out at 7 o'clock. He's done. Tomorrow's another day. Here's a second rhythm, and that is a weekly rhythm, a weekly rhythm. The second rhythm has to do with taking a day off each week. I wonder if I'm stepping on toes this morning uh, as, I, as I talk about this stuff. A day off every week. We Christians call that what? Sabbath. You got it. We call it Sabbath. It reminds us, you know, the Sabbath is kind of like this weekly reset button. It, it reminds us every week that our life's calling belongs to God, not to us. It reminds us that God is our source, not the company we work for. GM is not your source. God is your source. 
The company you work for, thank God for that. Thank God for a job. But they are ultimately not your provider. Father God is. And a day off every week reminds you of that. That he is your provider. Um, I know this for, for, the, for real. I'm a realist. That every once in a while, your week blows up. How many of you that happens to you? Where your week just kind of blows up on you, right? Does that happen? Sure it does. But here's the problem that I've observed. That for some people, for some Christians, for some leaders, every week blows up. Every week blows up. I had a guy tell me, Pastor Jim, you'll, you'll find this maybe interesting. We're, we have a lead pastor, Huddles. Pastor Jim's been one of our guest facilitators on those. And, and just this week, one of the guys in our huddles who's been in a huddle with us, and he should know better, he's been in a huddle with us for uh, eight months, said, I haven't had a day off in 12 weeks. Now, the first thing I wanted to do was jump down his throat in front of all of his friends that were on that call. I didn't do that. I said, you know... You and I need to talk about that offline. And then the guy who was guest facilitating says, I can't believe you said that with John Opaluski on this call, that you hadn't had a day off in 12 weeks. Listen, if your week is always blowing up, if you feel like I can't take a day off uh, forever for, for 12 weeks, now some of you work in, in places where they're forcing you to do that. I don't have time to even address that this morning. I'm talking about when you have a real legitimate choice, and most of us do. If you're always blowing by Sabbath, something is broken. Something's either broken about the way you approach work or broken about something on the inside of you. I ask guys all the time, what is broken on the inside of you that drives you to workaholic levels? They don't like that question. You say, I'm a tormentor, right? Sometimes a mentor and a tormentor. But if we struggle with Sabbath and we regularly ignore it, here's what's going to happen. We are going to have an unsustainable pace that gets us out of rhythm, and when you're out of rhythm for a long time, it eventually leads to emotional trouble. So these first two rhythms, daily and weekly, are foundational. If we ignore these two, these next three aren't going to matter or help us as much. But let me give you the third one. This one's going to be real fast. A quarterly rhythm. A quarterly rhythm. Every 90 days, get out of your zip code. Get away from the house, get away from your, uh, your job, get away from whatever you do. Go somewhere where you're out of your zip code and spend a day relaxing, refueling, refreshing, uh, uh, reflecting, wh whatever R you want to use, I guess. But every quarter, get out of your zip code. Here's another one, annual rhythm. Annual rhythm. Vacation, Right? Disconnecting from work for a vacation is not wasted time. It's not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity. Learning how to play will help you be more productive at work. The companies that are the most successful today, that are growing the fastest, have created space for their employees to have fun and to play. There's something about play that sparks creativity and productivity. So vacation. 
um, it actually helps you get better and be more productive. By the way, a vacation where you're answering emails, taking calls, and catching up on work is not a vacation. When I go on vacation, my out-of-office on my phone and my out-of-office on my email says something like this. I am out of the office from now until whenever I'm getting back. Um, I have no access to voicemail or email. None. Zero. I will not take a call while I'm on vacation. If you have a problem, you can call my admin. If you need coaching, you can see uh, uh, Jim Wiegand. Here's his phone number. If, right? I do that, right? You need this? Uh, here's this person to help you. Because, listen, I have to disconnect from what I'm doing. Even if God's given you a wonderful calling in your life, listen, you can get full of yourself if you think you always have to be on. And you can begin to start taking credit for the good things that God is doing. Look how hard I'm working. God, look how hard, look how hard I'm working. I'm not against hard work. What I am against is work taking over your life. That's what I am against. Annual rhythm. And then let me give you one more rhythm that will reduce your risk of major depression, and that is a relational rhythm. You know, to be healthy, every one of us in this room needs some like-minded people in our life. Pastor Jim, you were talking about small groups just a moment ago. We need like-minded people that we spend time with, people that um, can encourage us occasionally, people who can challenge us from time to time, people we can laugh with a lot. Uh, Pastor Jim is healing medicine to my life. He makes me laugh. We talk on the phone. We, don't, we talk about serious stuff, but I think I'm laughing more than we talk about serious stuff. I need him in my life. He helps me laugh. We, listen, when God created Adam, how long did it take before uh, he said these words, it's not good for the man to be alone? It's one chapter in the book of Genesis. I don't know how much time elapsed. But right after he created Adam, he said this, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. God has hardwired you for friendship. It's in your DNA. You need people in your life. If you want to depression-proof your life, you need friends in your life. With that being said, you also need alone time. Now, I'm an introvert. I love alone time. Isn't that right, Laura? I love alone time. I was uh, yesterday, I had a, kind of a busy day yesterday. I was speaking at a men's retreat in the morning, and I got home. Laura, was, uh, Laura wasn't there. She was uh, buying something. I don't know if it was for the wedding or you were somewhere. Chad, our, our boy that's still living at home, wasn't there. I got home. Can I, con can I confess to you? I thought, man, this is awesome. <laughs> I just got done expending a bunch of energy, and I thought, I can sit. I don't have to talk to anybody, and I'm just going to sit here. Now, I have to go to a wedding in a couple hours where there's going to be 300 people. So I'm just settling in and trying to soak in the aloneness for just an hour or two. It was wonderful. Listen, 
You need time with friends, but you also need time alone. You need time to do some personal inventory. You need thinking time. You need listening time. You need time with Jesus where it's just you and Him. We need alone time. That's a healthy rhythm. So if you want to get healthy and stay healthy emotionally, you need rhythm, a daily rhythm. Learn how to punch out. You need a weekly rhythm, a quarterly rhythm, an annual rhythm, and you need a relational rhythm. Now, you might be wondering, John, why should I even work at that? Why should I bother? Why does it matter? You might be thinking, so what, really? I've lived my life the way I've lived my life so far. I've been out of rhythm my whole life. I'm still alive. Why does it really matter? Here's why it matters. Because you cannot escape the negative consequences of living life out of rhythm for very long. It will catch up to you. It will catch up to you. Fatigue, anxiety, and depression will knock on your door, often suddenly, when you consistently live on the edge of exhaustion. I was talking with a man at this retreat uh, yesterday who I think... I'm pretty sure he's dealing with depression. And he told me, I don't feel depressed. And I said, you know, before I crashed into the wall of major depression 26 years ago, I didn't think I was depressed either until I slammed into the wall and I realized, ouch, something is really wrong in my life. And if that's not enough to convince you, let me tell you a real-life story. 26 years ago, in 1992, actually almost 27 years ago now, I was pastoring a church in Freeland, Michigan. That church was growing. Um, I, married, I was married to Laura, a beautiful wife. We have four, four beautiful kids, rambunctious but beautiful boys. Everything in our life was going great. I was spending time with the Lord every morning, uh, praying, worshiping, reading, and studying His Word. Everything was clicking on all cylinders. But I was falling apart emotionally. Let me tell you how, what that looked like. Um, I started to lose my appetite. Now, you have to understand something. I'm Polish-Italian. I grew up with homemade food. Everything was homemade. The noodles were homemade. The soup was homemade. The pie was homemade. Everything was homemade. I was having problems with my sleep. I had tremendous anxiety, a pervasive sadness, and a sincere belief that my life was truly over. And I began as a young guy, 30, 34 years old, I began to think about the least painful way to kill, my, kill myself. So I put a plan in place to do that. I was thinking about what I would write in the note to Laura. And I didn't even know what was happening to me. But I'll tell you what was happening to me. I was out of rhythm. I was diagnosed with major depression. And it had a lot to do with what I just shared with you this morning. Listen, the stakes are very high, folks. They're very high. You need 
I need, we need rhythm in our life if we are going to survive and thrive in the crazy world that you and I live in. Uh, could the gentleman who's playing piano come on up at this point? If you're here, in the, thank you. Here he comes. Can I urge you this morning, commit yourself to these five rhythms. And if you're healthy this morning, emotionally, let me say this, it's easier to stay healthy than it is to get healthy. It just is. It's a lot less expensive, too. So if you're here and you're healthy this morning, here's the next step I'd like to give you. Pick one of those five rhythms that you struggle with the most and start to work on it. If it's a daily one, start working on that. Pick a time to punch out every day this upcoming week. If it's a weekly one, work like crazy to get a day off, to get some downtime. Put a plan together. Stick to it. Listen, some of you need to put your phone in another room after a certain time of night, and, and Lord have mercy, maybe even turn it off so you won't be tempted to get pulled back into work. But if you are here today and you're struggling with depression or anxiety, I, got, I have good news for you. There's hope. I'm, I am proof positive that there is hope that you can recover. You don't have to live the rest of your life depressed and anxious. There's a way out. There's light at the end of the tunnel. The rhythms that I shared with you this morning, they're going to help you. They will help you heal. They'll help you stay well. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling with thoughts of suicide and in a crowd of this size, I'd be surprised if there wasn't at least a few of you who thought about that this week. Don't let the devil lie to you. You need to go to your doctor. You need to find a counselor. And you need to put yourself on a path toward wellness healing because God's not done with your life. He's got a bright future for you. We sang he's a champion, right? He's a champion over depression. But you have to cooperate with him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you don't have a for real, I mean a for real relationship with Jesus Christ, emotional health will be elusive for you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is it, what is, what is it that you have to give up to become a Christian? Just one thing, and that's the right to be your own boss. It's the right to run your own life, the right to control your own life. You say, Jesus, I give you control of my life. And if you'll do that, you, if you'll say that meaningfully from your heart, Jesus, I give you control of my life, you will be saved right here, right now, in this moment. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder how many of you are here this morning and say, John, I want a for real relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand right now? Just stick it up and then you can put it down. Hold, up for, hold it up for a bit. One, two, I'm just looking, scanning. Three, yes, four, five, six, seven. Beautiful. Seven folks. 
If you raise your hand this morning, right in your seat, pray that prayer, Jesus, I surrender. And if you'll do that, he will come into your life and your life will never be the same. It will change forever. So ignore the rest of what we're doing and pray that prayer right now. If you're here this morning and you say, John, I'm ready to commit. I'm 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 going to do something with what I heard this morning. Can I see your hand? You say, I'm going to commit. I'm I'm going to implement rhythm into my life. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. So Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray for those who are saying yes to you, who are releasing control of their life to you in their seats this morning. God, I pray that you would meet them there in a powerful, life-changing way. And Lord, I pray for the rest this morning who have raised their hand and said, I'm committed to do something with what I've heard today. I pray, Father, that you would give them the juice, the grace that they need this week to actually follow through. And Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning who are struggling with anxious thoughts, depressed thoughts, and some suicidal thoughts, perhaps. Jesus, I pray they would feel you wrapping your arms around them and holding them close. Let them know it's not over, it's not the end. Brighter days are ahead. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus I ask, and God, I believe you're going to do that. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you uh, for being, thanks for coming out today. Um, You are dismissed.